and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. There's a quote, and I can't, I've seen this attributed to several different sources, so I didn't quote it or put a source there, but it says, the measure of an effective church is not how many people attend, but how many people live like Jesus as a result of attending. Like, this is what it's all about, is transformation and new beginnings and new lives and, and living life in new ways. So I want very much to kind of help us um, live out what it might look like in 2019 and in our culture and our context here, what it might look like to, to follow Jesus and to live life like Jesus. That's why repentance is always going to be a big part of, of what we do here at City Grace. We're always going to talk about sin and the need for forgiveness with God and the need for forgiveness and restoration with the people that we have sinned against. And, you know, it's part of, you know, coming forward. Maybe it's at the end of a message or maybe it's on your own or in your car or in your living room, wherever it is. I want to lead everybody, all of us, to these moments where we come to God and say, I'm sorry for my past and I'm ready to follow you forward and receive God's forgiveness. It's a beautiful, beautiful experience and all of us need that. And so that's part of my goal as a pastor, to lead people to baptism as well. It's always going to be integral to what we do at City Grace, this public declaration that I'm, I'm leaving my past behind. I'm rising to walk in a brand new life. And then along with repentance and along with baptism, to always encourage and always move us and motivate us and inspire us to live full of the Holy Spirit, to, to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to be expecting the promise, to live with an anticipation of being baptized with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Not like dread or fear, you know. Forgiveness has been received, right? God has already buried your past. God, I've already obeyed in trust, you know, and, and whatever happens to me next is completely in your hands. I want to lead all of us to kind of have that attitude and have that approach and that conversation with God. And, and really, though, that's the hard part. It's coming to the point in our lives where we're willing to leave our experience and our future experiences in God's hands, especially when it comes to the series that we've been talking about um, over the past few weeks about the promise and the Holy Spirit and the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit isn't tame. And God's Spirit isn't something that we can control. And so when I say that I want you to live a life that's full of the Holy Ghost or full of the Holy Spirit, that's a scary proposition for some of us, especially if we're not really used to that terminology. We didn't grow up around that. You know, like somebody starts talking about a Holy Ghost you're like, ghost, like what in the world did I show up for? And it's close to October 31st, and the lights are kind of dim, right? And you're just waiting for somebody to say, boo, and, and that's not going to happen. Don't worry about that. But, but in fact, you, you know, if you, if you have that kind of like, you know, you're not sure what that is, and you're not sure what that's about, you're in good company. There, there's been people all through time that have been kind of not comfortable with what Jesus kind of left the church to experience. And in fact, Jesus was talking one time with a very good, very religious man um, about what was going on and what Jesus was doing. And this man's name was Nicodemus. And, and he came to Jesus and he said, look, clearly you're from, if I can kind of summarize this, this is Jared's own words. He said in John chapter three, look, clearly you're from God. Like the things you're doing couldn't be from anybody else. So it's no, it's no surprise that you're from God, but the way you're doing things and the things you're kind of doing, we didn't expect it to look like this. We thought you were going to be different. We thought you were going to be, you know, kind of following our expectations. And you're just kind of blowing all our expectations out of the water. And Jesus looked at him and he said, well, look, if you want to understand what I'm doing and you want to be a part of what I'm doing, you have to be born again. 
It's confusing, right? Be born again. And Nicodemus, let me tell you, like, if you're confused, like, you're in good company. Nicodemus was genuinely confused. He's like, I'm an old man. How am I going to go back in my mom's belly and be born again? He literally asked Jesus that. How do I get back inside my mom's belly to be born again? And Jesus is like, you know, oy vey. Like, no, that's not what I'm talking about at all. That's not what it is all about. You need a reawakening, a, a rebirth going on. But this isn't a natural thing I'm talking about. It's a supernatural thing that I'm talking about. And then Jesus used this word picture in John chapter 3 in verse 8. And this is kind of where we, we've touched on this the past few weeks. The wind blows wherever it pleases. Anybody remember the windstorm we just had last week, right? That wind's blowing wherever it wants to. And you hear the sound of the wind, but you can't tell where the wind's coming from. PG&E can't seem to tell where it's going. Can I hear an amen from somebody without power? Yes. You can't tell where it's coming from. You can't tell where it's going. And so it is with everyone that's born of the Spirit. And again, if you're new to kind of like Pentecostal type churches or Spirit-filled type churches, like born of the Spirit, born of the Holy Ghost, it all just seems so strange. I grew up in Pentecostal church. I grew up sleeping on pews while people are jumping up and down and clapping and singing real loud off key, right? Well, singing real loud off key still happens in all of our service. Can you look at your neighbor, somebody? But I can remember just these wild and crazy celebrations of praise during church, you know, but these people, these beautiful people that I grew up with, that I am part of, that we are here at City Grace Church, these are also people who became comfortable living their entire life kind of chasing the wind, but not any wind, the, the holy wind, the Holy Spirit, the holy breath of God doing things that don't make sense in our natural understanding, giving beyond their means to help somebody in a tight spot out, praying impossible prayers. Like, why would you even pray for that? God's not going to do that, and God would do that. Praying for healings, praying for miracles, forgiving the unforgivable, loving the unlovable. You ever know someone, or you ever maybe even just hear about somebody that's like a person of faith and they go through these circumstances in life, and you're just like, man, how can they still be calm? How, why haven't they pulled all their hair out, right? And, and you talk to them about it, and they're like going through hell, and you know they are. And, and they just say things like, well, God's got everything under control. And you're like, no, everything's clearly not under control. Like, are you looking around you? Are you paying attention? They're like, no, 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 you don't understand. God is in control, my dad was like this a lot. My dad's here this morning, the bishop of our church. I love you, dad. My dad was like this. God is in control. And then two minutes later, he's snoring. Like, it's just, you know, it's just all the time. Dad was so calm. Dad was so confident and, and so unshakable in his trust that God was going to come through. Why? How? It's because of that baptism of that Holy Spirit. He's used to letting the Spirit drive and the Spirit lead that life. But for a lot of Christians and a lot of people who kind of want to come into faith, want to investigate faith, not sure what faith and following Jesus is all about, that's not necessarily been your experience. Church is a place where you come and you be quiet. You be, you be reverent, you know, and, and you don't make too much noise because maybe God's nervous up there, you know, and God seems kind of distant, right? And faith doesn't really intersect with life. I mean, you live life and you go to church and never the twain shall meet, right? You kind of keep them separate from each other. And, and then we like to live life under our own control anyway, right? We don't like admitting that maybe parts of our life or maybe our whole life needs some transformation, that maybe how we see things and understand things might need to change to a heavenly perspective. I mean, you know, yeah, we need maybe a few tweaks on our perspective. I mean, nobody's perfect, right? Anybody ever said that before? 
Yeah, I need, a, I need a little bit of help, right? And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, and Jesus is saying to us, no, 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 that's not what I came to offer you. What I came to do and what I am doing and what I am calling you to be a part of is to bring God's kingdom, God's reality, like heaven, that thing that seems so perfect in paradise, like I want to bring that here. Heaven, which seems like it's so far in the future, he's saying I want to bring then to now. Anybody remember the Lord's Prayer? Ever grow up here in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What? Thy kingdom come. Hold on, don't go too fast. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is saying that's what it's all about. However confusing that might look to you, Nicodemus, however confusing that might seem to us, right? However frustrating it might feel at times to our natural sense of righting wrong, right and wrong. Jesus is telling Nicodemus and Jesus is telling us, I'm bringing God's kingdom into reality and there is something more for you to experience. If you want to get on board with me, if you want to be part of what I am doing, there is something more for you to experience than just asking the guy in the sky for forgiveness. There's something more to it. In fact, he told him just a verse or two before that. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. Nicodemus, this isn't about flesh. It's not about human reasoning, human understanding, human, human you know, methods and, and, and all this kind of stuff. You shouldn't be surprised. You've tried living life your way. You've tried doing things your way, right? You've tried things under your own wisdom and your own strength. You, of all people, shouldn't be surprised. Turn to somebody close to you and tell them, you, of all people. That got awkward, didn't it? You shouldn't be surprised that it takes something different than what we've experienced before, what we can control on our own. But here's the thing. Again, it's a little bit unsettling. To think of opening ourselves up, especially if you're new to this, opening ourselves up to the control of a Holy Spirit, a Holy Ghost. But what if it wasn't unsettling? What if it was the most natural thing in the world for us to willingly place ourselves under the driving, controlling forces of God? I mean, we're supposed to be God's children. He's supposed to be a heavenly father, right? We love that. We sing songs about that. That's what it's all about, Jesus and love and all this kind of stuff. What if with God, all the parts of God weren't scary to us? What if when it comes to being in relationship with God, even ideas like being controlled by a Holy Spirit wasn't something that was scary to us? What if when we thought of those things, we actually felt a little bit more like this guy, Wouldn't that be awesome if somebody told you it's Sunday and your face looked like that? Right? What if somebody told you it's time to pray and your face looked like that? Come on, the only time your face looks like that is when somebody says there are quesadillas for free in the break room at work, right? That's the only time your face looks like that, right? Do you guys remember, parents, do you remember when you'd come home from work and your kids would like run and, and jump on you and grab your legs and all that kind of stuff? You guys remember that? Wasn't that the most awesome feeling in the world? Like Caleb's six foot four now, 210 pounds. I don't want him doing it now, but you know, when he was three years old and only five and a half feet tall, it was kind of all right. It was just, you know, 
It was a little bit different, right? And this is the kind of relationship with the Heavenly Father that we have been called to. There is more on offer than ritual. There is more on offer than just religion, than just a Sunday church experience. There is so much more to live together. Hello, this should be our attitude. Maybe not our face, God help us, but this should be our attitude. This should be how we feel on the inside when it's time for church, when we talk about baptism, when we talk about forgiveness and mercy and peace. When we talk about every single day being flooded with the presence of God. Hello. When we say that you can live life as tools and instruments of Jesus Christ to bring heaven to earth, kingdom come through you, you're like, God can use you to pray for somebody. You should be like, no, we don't do that sometimes, do we? You kind of feel a little push, a little nudge to go pray for somebody, and your face looks the opposite of that, right? It looks a little, well, I don't have another picture. We'll just keep on going on. But this should be our reaction to hearing Jesus' offer, that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, that the same presence of God that drove Jesus, the same presence and voice of a heavenly Father that filled his ears and, and guided his feet and gave strength to his hands, that is available for us. But we live so, so far below it. We live so far apart from it. And if being a Christian doesn't make us feel this way, then maybe we're not doing it right. If you, thinking about having faith of your own or coming to church or belonging to a church or being a Christian or being a follower of Jesus, if it doesn't make you feel like that, then maybe you're not doing it right. And I don't say that from like a know-it-all condemnation, like pointing my finger at you. I say it from a point of hope. I say like, hey, there's more to it than what you thought. There's more to it than what you experienced before. It's like the first time if somebody offered you a salad and they gave you kale, you never eat salad again. Hello. But when they make it out of spinach and put walnuts and cranberries and blue cheese and grill some chicken and put it on the top, is anybody ready to dismiss right now? <laughs> no, you're like, no, it's still a salad, Jared. <laughs> I get it. I get it, right? It's like Burger King coming out with a new veggie burger. What, what are you doing? You're the Burger King. Don't go to Burger Peasant. Like, no, that's not what it's about. I, no. And if what you have tried of Christianity doesn't seem like it worked or if it left you dissatisfied or left you empty, all I'm saying is maybe there's more to it than what you have experienced. What Jesus was offering was so much greater, so much bigger, so much more full and rich and satisfying to life. But it does, it does, it will require a little bit of a change in our attitude and in our thinking. It, it takes us becoming a little more childlike in our approach to what the Father wants us to experience. One time, as a matter of fact, and we're not the only ones that kind of have to have this transformation, this change in our attitude towards Jesus. And what he, I probably should have put a different slide in there to go like, here, I just don't want you staring at that face the whole time. There we go. This verse is coming up next. One time Jesus was, was going with his disciples to a city named Capernaum. And as they're coming up, you know, the religious system of the day, the people that kind of oversaw the churches and what they called synagogues or the temples, they, they, they came to one of Jesus' disciples and named Peter. And they told him, hey, doesn't your teacher, doesn't Jesus, doesn't he pay the temple tax? They're like looking at Jesus' tax returns. Like, how come he's not paying his, his taxes, right? And Peter's like, well, yeah, we're supposed to pay the tax. He wants to pay the tax, but we're just kind of, we're, like, we're out of money. 
We're the Jesus movement. We're not very rich right now. We're just getting started, right? And, and we just don't have any money. And then Peter goes to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, the people are wondering if you're going to pay the church tax. And Jesus does this awesome thing where you're like, you know, just like your uncle used to do sometimes. He reaches behind Peter's ear and says, oh, what's this? And he pulls out a coin, right? But it wasn't really behind Peter's ear. It was in a fish's mouth that Peter had caught. That joke needs some help. But he, he pulled out a coin and he said, here, here's a coin. Go and, and pay the temple tax. And when the other disciples heard it, at the beginning of Matthew chapter 8, they come to Jesus. At that time, when Jesus did that trick and he pulled money out of a fish's mouth, they're like, whoa, this is a big deal. This is going to be something incredible. We're going to be rich. We're with the guy that finds money in fish's mouth, right? Your movement, Jesus, it needs, it needs backing. You've just provided your own backing. Clearly, Jesus, you have the skills to take this show on the road, right? So who's going to be vice president? Who's going to be second place, third place within your kingdom? Who is going to be greatest in your kingdom? And Jesus calls a little child to him, and he places the little child among them. And then Jesus tells his disciples, guys, listen, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So if you want to know who's going to be greatest, if you want to know who's going to be vice president and second in my kingdom, listen, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest of the kingdom, greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And basically what he's telling him is like, you guys thought, saw what you thought was a magic trick. You thought it's going back to the old motivations of why people start movements for, for power and for gain and for riches and wealth. And, and behind your question are the all too human ambitions for power and position. But what if there was a different kind of force on the inside of you? What if there was a different kind of motive driving you? What if there was a different ambition for the use of money? What if it wasn't all supposed to be for yourself, but was supposed to be given to you so that you can give to others? And if you don't become like a little child, if you don't change your, your scheming and your conniving, then you are not going to be part of my kingdom. And the fix that Jesus was proposing to their broken motivations was to become childlike. It was to get lost in the wonder of God working in the world. It was to get lost in the wonder of God sharing his greatness and sharing his provision with everybody else. It was a completely different paradigm for relationship with God, for being part of the kingdom of God, or what we would call the church. And it's way different than what a lot of us think the church is all about. And maybe this is, again, maybe, again, this is one of the reasons that you left. Maybe this is one of the reasons that you had doubts, just that Christianity just seemed so dead or, or maybe ritualistic before. Maybe we were driven by a different force than the force that Jesus wanted us to surrender ourselves to. Maybe there was something more to the Christian experience than what we had experienced because what Jesus is actually calling us into is not another religion, but a relationship with our heavenly Father. And the way that we interact with Him, and the way that we experience His voice, and His emotions, and the love, and the fullness of that relationship is through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But it's scary to open yourself up to this possibility and the reality of living life under relationship or under the influence of the relationship of the Holy Spirit. We're all a little bit comfortable with just a bit of God, right? Just give me a little bit of church. 
Give me enough church so that I always understand what God is, is asking me to do. Just give me enough of, of God and religion so that I always you know, know what's going on. And, and we want controlled and, and calculated religious experiences, right? We want to give God polite handshakes and, and golf claps. But in buying into those ideas of religion, what we might be completely missing, like at times our lives are completely empty of the childlike exuberance of knowing that we are sons and daughters of God so that every time we come into the presence and the closeness of God, it's like when our daddy came home or we're like our children ran up to us when we came home and it's throwing our arms around him and throwing our arms and our hearts around his presence and living life connected to a heavenly, heavenly father. That's what's on offer. It's the joyful singing of songs. It's hands lifted in surrender, right, and, and victory. It's, it's taking the things that break our hearts to him in, in prayer, whether it's at an altar at church or maybe it's at home by yourself before everyone else gets up in the morning. How many of you, when you had something broken when you were, when you were a kid, you would take it to your mom or your dad because you thought your mom or your dad could fix anything, Right? Little did you know that that toy that didn't make noise anymore, they're the ones that broke it, right? Here's some guilty parents in the room, yes. But we took it to our parents, why? Because we thought our parents could do anything. They could fix anything, right? That's the attitude of the childlike with God. That's the attitude of a spirit-filled believer with a heavenly father. God, I have broken something that's important to me. God, I've broken someone's heart. God, I've broken a relationship. God, I've done something wrong. Or maybe someone has broken my heart. Maybe someone has done something wrong to me. And I am bringing it to you because you're my heavenly dad. And I know that you can do anything. And to us, God is offering a big, huge, warm embrace and telling each and every one of us, yes, bring me your hurt. Bring me your pain. Bring me your scars. Bring me your trouble. Bring me your chaos. And in exchange, I will give you peace. And, and restitution and new living and new beginning. This is what it looks like to live in relationship with the Heavenly Father. It's trust and it's gratitude and it's joy. It's words of praise. It's words of adoration and it's beautiful. It's beautiful and it's on offer to all of us. But not all of us are looking for it. Not all of us knew that it even existed. In, in the New Testament, in the new part of your Bible, there's this book called Acts, what we call the book of Acts. And it's kind of like this travel journal for the spread of the early church when the church first kicked off. And it tells us what happened when people had first started experiencing this baptism of the Holy Spirit. They had never had a relationship with God in this context before. Even when Jesus was there in person, they interfaced with God through Jesus. And then at the end of their time together, when Jesus was about to leave them and, and kind of launch this thing called the church, he gathers them together and he says, okay, guys, listen, I'm going to be with you always, even till the end of the age. And then he left. What's that all about, right? I'm going to be with you always. And then he left. And then he sent back the Holy Spirit on what we call the day of Pentecost. And there was this new context of being in relationship with God. There was a new way to be in the presence of Jesus. They had had, in Jesus, they had had the presence of God with them, but in the Holy Spirit, what they experienced was the presence of God within them. It was even closer than the relationship they had had with God while Jesus was here in person. Some of them liked it, and some people struggled with it. 
Some people kept trying to reintroduce the old idea of religious rules, and it's hard to shift your, your thinking of religion from religion to relationship. And as these different people groups, and you can see this again throughout the book of Acts as the church was kind of launching, as these different people groups began experiencing this new relationship paradigm and this whole new thing of being baptized or filled or inundated with the Holy Spirit, there's one man that I think shows us perfectly that God wants more for us than the religion that we've experienced before. And we find it in Acts chapter 10, starting in verses 1 and 2. At Caesarea, a city that was there in, in that area in first century Jerusalem or Israel, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. Now here's the thing. This guy was an outsider to the Jewish faith. At the time that Jesus was on the planet, uh, uh, the 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 nation of Israel, the people of Israel were oppressed and occupied by Rome, the empire of Rome. And, and this man who was an outsider to the Jewish nationality and the Jewish faith, he became a convert to the God of the Jews. And he was a Roman soldier. And they were supposed to hate him because Rome and Roman soldiers had their boots on Jewish necks and they patrolled their streets and they used Jewish tax money to fund their occupation. But Cornelius is a Roman occupier who genuinely seems to be a good guy. And he's occupying the nation of Israel, but he's doing it compassionately. And at least one of the reasons that he's being compassionate to the Jews is that he fears their God. Now, some of us can relate to that, right? Because we're a little bit scared of God. Most of us have feared God too. And God seems distant and kind of scary, and we don't really know him very well, and we're all scared of the unknown. And it was kind of like that for Cornelius, but he's also devout, which means he reverences and honors this God, right? He does incredibly good things. If I can put it in my own language, he was what we might call a good Christian. Verse 2 tells us, he gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. He wants to make sure that this God that he kind of fears, that God is not mad at him. So he prays regularly. He gives generously to everybody that's in need. He's a good guy. He's a good Christian, right? And none of this goes unnoticed by God. None of it goes unnoticed by God. So what is God's response? What does God do for Cornelius? Well, one day, about three in the afternoon, Cornelius had a vision. And he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Boo! If you can imagine an angel showing up in your room, I'm glad it was three in the afternoon, daytime, right? Can you imagine if that was three in the morning? Can I hear somebody whose hair, can I hear from somebody whose hair would have instantly turned white like mine? Like just like, no, if there's an angel showing up at three in the morning, I am not comfortable with that. But it's amazing to me that when Cornelius gets comfortable bringing heavenly realities into this world, then God gets serious about giving heavenly realities into Cornelius' world. Notice that. Some of us want Jesus to step into our circumstance. Anybody ever prayed one of those prayers? Like, Jesus is going really bad. Jesus, if you will, I promise I'll never again, right? Jesus, if you'll do this, I promise I'll stop doing that. Anybody ever prayed those kind? We want Jesus to step into our circumstances, but we don't want to follow in his footsteps. And when we get serious about doing what is heavenly in the natural, it motivates Jesus to naturally do what is heavenly in our lives. There's a correlation there. There's a response there, right? And so Cornelius gets God's attention, and now God has Cornelius' attention. And Cornelius asks what the angel wants, because when an angel shows up, 
it's probably a good idea to ask what he wants so that the angel can go away. One more time, can I hear an amen from somebody who's comfortable never seeing an angel in their life, right? Verse 4, so the angel answered him, well, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, here's what I want you to do, Cornelius. Now, now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. Notice what the angel is saying to him. You've been praying. That's awesome. You've been given to the poor. Cornelius, that's amazing. I can't even get my regular church people to do that. You are amazing, right? You fear God, Cornelius. That's a great attitude. It's the beginning of wisdom. You're devout. You're trying to be like your heavenly father to those that are in need. But now, as in there's something more, as in everything that you know about God is not everything there is to know about God. So now, in other words, what you have experienced of religion and church is not everything that God has for you to experience about religion and church. So now that you've been doing all those good things, now there's something more that I have for you. Now, sin for Peter, and he's going to talk to you. But Cornelius didn't want to know God more. He was content with a fear-based religion of a God he feared, so he ignored the angel's instructions and kept on just trying to be a good guy on his own. The end. No, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> that's the reference down there. That's 2 Jared 5.13. That didn't really happen. That's actually fake news. That, uh, that's not how the story went. Now look, I'm, I'm kind of making a joke out of this, but some of us, that's our story. We know a little bit about religion. I know a little bit about church. I've had some guilt. I know there's been some things in my past that I've done wrong and I should probably take care of. I should probably talk to that guy. I'm kind of waiting until I get closer to the end, you know, and then I'm going to make everything right. Anybody got that strategy? Don't raise your hand. Hello. Problem with that is you don't ever know when the end's coming. Hello. We can't do that. We know a little bit about God. We think that we got to be good and, you know, I got to be good this week because last week I wasn't very good. Like, how much good do you need to balance out the bad that you've done? Who gets to make that calculation? Who gets to tell you when the account is completely settled? Hello. What if this had been Cornelius' experience? Now, this is a big deal because Cornelius is actually the first non-Jewish person to experience the more that God had on offer. Cornelius is actually the non-Jewish hinge that swung open the door of this experience to us non-Jewish people. When we read about Cornelius, unless you're pure Jewish in this room, this is actually you reading about your great, 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 great grandfather in the faith. Cornelius was the first non-Jewish guy to experience this. We're here because he trusted this call to something more. And why is God going through all the trouble, not my fake news, but the other stuff, to put it in the Bible? Why is God going through the trouble to tell us this story? The reason why is because there are a lot of us who have been like Cornelius. We know God. Some of us even fear God. Some of us are devout and we do good things. But there is more of God for us to experience. Hello. And we can say that we know about God, but God doesn't just want that. God doesn't want us to know about him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to be in relationship with him. And there are some of us even here today that aren't even aware that a relationship like that with God is even 
an option. Some of us aren't even aware of just how in love with us he is. Now think about this. Again, for parents, like you remember when your kids were little and they used to run up to you and, and or maybe it was at nighttime and they're in their PJs and there's nothing sticky on their hands anymore. You know, the good times, right? Sometimes they touch you and it's sticky and it's like, where have you been? Like what, what is that that is now on my neck and crawling? Like, you know, but you remember those times when those kids would just like climb in your lap you're trying to watch the game, you're trying to do something right, the kid just kind of climbs on, grabs your cheeks, Dad, I love you, and they kiss you. You guys remember those times? Remember that when they used to put those chubby arms around your neck and just hold you? Remember when they used to take your work shoes and walk around the house? And Mom, remember when she used to get your high heels and walk around the house in your high heels and a diaper? You guys remember those times when they would say, I love you? Do you realize that that's the kind of relationship with God that he wants you to have with him, an intimate, close relationship, a relationship where when life is so chaotic and so troubled and there's no peace to be found, that whether it's at work or on your lunch break or in your evening time or maybe a quiet morning where you can just kind of get away from everybody else and close your eyes, and in that moment when you speak the name Jesus, does anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? To speak the name Jesus and instantly into that moment, instantly into that pain, instantly into that fear, that anxiety, whatever it is, you feel the presence of God just fills that room. It fills that room. And in that moment, you know, this isn't about a church. It's not about a holy man, a priest, or a pastor, or anybody else. This is about me and my creator. This is about me and my heavenly father. Some of us, we have no idea how exciting, fulfilling, and rich it is to live life in relationship and under the control of the wind of the Holy Spirit, the things that He wants to transform in us, the things that He wants to change in our world through us as we bring kingdom come, as we bring heaven to earth. Who could God heal through your prayers? What could God transform through your testimony? What could God put right in your world that's been wrong for so long? And Jesus is the answer, but not the version of Jesus you know. Hello? Not the version of church and religion that you know. There is more. There's more. There's more. So Cornelius calls for Peter and God is still using Peter in amazing ways, and Peter is going where no Jewish man has ever gone before. He's going into the house of one of their hated Roman enemies, and he proceeds to tell Cornelius and the family and the friends this amazing and mind-boggling and paradigm-shifting news. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. God's like a good parent. It means he might have first and second kids, but that doesn't mean we're first and second place in his eyes. It's not Jewish Christians first and then everybody else gets a lesser relationship. No, all of us are called into the close and intimate relationship with God. Do you realize that I can't get any closer to God than you can? No pastor, no priest, no holy man, nobody can be closer to God than you can be on your own. That's what Jesus came to do was to blow the doors off the confessional booth and say, hey, take it straight to God. Like, I'm here to welcome you into, hello. 
And, and it doesn't mean that we rank first and second place in God's eyes. It's not people who have been Christian their whole lives, people that have been good their whole lives, and then the rest of you. No, that's not the way it is. God has called all of us into this relationship. And you know the message that God sent to the people of Israel. They were first, but it doesn't mean they're first place, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. That there is now peace that is on offer between you and this God that you don't really know. There is now peace on offer between you and the Heavenly Father that you're so worried that you have offended. And then Peter references the Old Testament prophets that Cornelius was just learning about. All the prophets testify about him and that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's under his rule, under his reign, under the name of Jesus Christ. This is what is on offer, that everything that has separated you and God Every episode in your life, every season in your life, every chapter in your life, every event where you wish you could go back in a time machine and get a do-over on, all of it can be washed away and completely buried through the name of Jesus Christ. Through trust in that name. See, this is what Cornelius had been hoping for. This is what Cornelius had been missing in his experience and in his religion because he knew about church. He knew about temple. He knew enough to fear God, and he knew enough to do some good things. But it didn't seem like it was satisfying him. And so God sent an angel to tell him to call for Peter, and Peter is there to tell him there is more. And you're doing good things to make you right in God's eyes, but you can't earn forgiveness. You're never going to do enough good to deserve a new start with God. But all that you have been doing... I give you good news. All of it, Jesus is here to freely give to you. And everything that you have been hoping for, the more, the more, the more. Cornelius, it's here. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And the Jewish believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. It was weird. It was strange. It's a little bit crazy. Hello. It was maybe even, we might say, a little bit childlike, the way that they started babbling in this unknown language as God filled them with His Holy Spirit. I was talking with somebody the other day about this whole phenomenon of speaking in tongues, and they were telling me about the first time that they spoke in tongues, and he told me that the first time he spoke in tongues, it sounded more like yabba-dabba-doo. And that's actually about how my first experience was, as God filled me and baptized me with his Holy Spirit, as I began to learn how to surrender myself completely to the incredible supernatural embrace of a heavenly Father. And we see it all the time. I saw it happening here. Y'all couldn't hear it because we didn't have a microphone up. But I saw people here coming up out of the water just this morning, speaking in tongues as God filled them with the Spirit, baptized them with the Spirit. And you see people crying and smiling and 
laughing. I've seen people kneeling in gratitude. I've seen people kneel in humility in God's greatness, at God's greatness and God's goodness. I people, I've seen people standing with their hands lifted. I've heard about people crying or crying while they're driving in a car, sitting in front of a computer. It doesn't matter. All I know is that it may have been childlike. It may seem childlike if you're not understanding what's going on, but it is never childish to come to God and to see him in a whole new way, that you're not just distant and far from me, but you're my heavenly father, and you have more for me than I have ever experienced before. It changed Cornelius' world. It rocked his household, rocked everything that he knew about church and religion and being in relationship with God. And this experience that he got, this speaking in tongues saying, it didn't happen because he wanted to speak in tongues. As far as we know, he didn't even know what tongues was. It was something completely foreign to him. It didn't happen because Peter was there coaching him to speak in a heavenly language. He wasn't thinking about that. All Cornelius was focused on was the message of newfound peace with the heavenly Father. All he cared about was more, more than religion, more than ritual, more than duty, more than list. He just wanted more of God. More, more, more of God. And he got more. He got more of God than he even knew was possible. And the beautiful experience of heavenly language came in a moment of innocent gratitude. It came when a childlike heart heard a door swing open and saw his heavenly father as he really is for maybe the first time in his life. And I wonder this morning, I wonder this morning how many of us here might view our faith in ways that God no longer wants us to think about faith. I wonder how many of us here ever wonder about the possibilities in your relationship with God. Or maybe has your faith in your relationship or your Christianity, maybe has it kind of fallen into a rut and and a side road from what Jesus intended as the destination. Maybe your faith is, is just a shadow of what's possible. Maybe you know enough to give God Sunday morning. Maybe you know enough to, to quote unquote, go to his house. And I really like discalling, I dislike calling this the house of God because it's so clearly not in the New Testament. God's house is now us. Hello? But we think of this as God's house, and we know enough to come to God's house. But then we come to God's house, and we have a moment or an experience, and then we leave God's house. And in our minds and in our experience, we kind of leave God at God's house. And yeah, I'll let pastor talk with God during the week. I'll let pastor deal with God during the week. But I'm going back to life. Because God is about church. God is about religious services. God is about rules, rituals, liturgy. But I am about life and about living. And God has just blown wide the door to a new paradigm of relationship with him. Jesus Christ who came and laid down his life. He died on a cross His blood poured out of his body to offer forgiveness for our sins. And you think he wants you to come and sit in a chair for an hour a week and then leave his presence? No. There's so much more that he has come to offer. And again, I don't say that in condemnation. I come to you with a message of hope that if you found religion and Christianity disappointing before, maybe you didn't experience the more yet. Maybe you haven't completely surrendered to everything that he has for you. 
What if you could begin to see God with childlike eyes? What if you could be awakened to the wonder of what it might look like to live in relationship with God? As a matter of fact, I want to challenge you. I came up with this idea a while ago, and I still think it's something you should try. I really do. I want you to have a date night with God, as kind of weird as that might sound. That's what I want you to do. Because at nighttime in the city, you know, you look up at the sky, see like two stars, right? Oh, wait, that one's blinking. That's a plane. That's not a... But you ever been camping, look up at the sky, and like it's so full of stars? Like it looks like a cloud of stars because you can't even count the individual dots. Just so clear, so amazing. Here's what I want you to do sometime. I want you to take your car, drive to the edge of town. I want you to climb up on the hood. I want you to try and see through all the smoke of the fires. (laughs) Look up at the stars in the sky. And I just want you to be in wonder at the God who made all of those stars. Just marvel at all of the stars. Maybe if you know someone with a new baby, maybe, maybe offer to babysit someone's kid. That's kind of a bold thing to try, right? That kid might be a brat and you might have to change a diaper, but I want you to look at a small hand, a child's hand. You ever look at their fingernails, how impossibly tiny they are? You ever do that? Look at their eyes and their wonder and everything else. Just look at that and begin to wonder and marvel at the innocence and the beauty and the creation that is all around us. Everything that God has made for us to enjoy in this world, everything that God has put into this reality that we live in, just to look at all of it and be in awe and wonder of God and realize that if God has made all of this for us to enjoy on our own, what realities and what relationship has He created in the spiritual world for us to enjoy with Him, for us to experience with Him? to think and to begin to dream and maybe even begin to have those first conversations with him that, God, is there more? Is there more to living in relationship with you than what I've experienced before? What if every time you you thought about God, you got happy? What if every time you thought about church and and your faith in Jesus Christ, you began expecting something new and exciting, got joyful, got grateful, got overwhelmed with his love? What if the story of Calvary and the cross and a man bleeding and dying there? What if it didn't disturb you anymore because it just seemed so brutal and senseless? What if the beauty of the love of God that it proves began to captivate your mind and your heart? What if you instead began to simply you know, breathe and as you begin to really trust those words and, and the forgiveness of Jesus, trust that 2,000 years ago it just seemed so impossible that a man dying on a cross, because of him there is God, there's peace with God right now. What if you begin to simply breathe and live within that moment, within that reality as you let that wash over you? What if you begin to lean into that hope? That God, I've been carrying guilt and I've been carrying this, this disappointed like experience of being in relationship with you or Christianity or faith before. What if you began to let that reality that he has forgiven you, that there is now peace between you and God, what if you begin to let it affect you, affect your choices, affect the words that you speak, affect your emotions, affect your language, affect what you expect God What if you began to ask God to help you to understand the depth and height and width and length of the kind of love that would lay down his life for us while we were still sinners? What could happen if you began to chase more of God? 
more of God. More of God. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.